Welcome back to Maya, my friends, my yoga audio, where it's time for your mind to be on the mat. Maya interviews and conversations are intended to be lively, informative, and health and wellness oriented to help support the yoga or yoking that the point of this show is all about and to help listeners find different avenues into healing. Today, we are so lucky to have the experience of the phenomenal Nicole Carter on the show. Nicole and I met last year at an Afro yoga event here in Sacramento, and my memory of that event was that we connected pretty much immediately, and we have stayed in touch since that time, mutually supporting each other's work. She was one of the first few people I thought of when Maya was launched, and you'll know why as we get into our conversation. Nicole is a licensed clinical social worker with 20 years of experience in social services. She has worked in city and county protective service agencies, hospitals, crisis mental health facilities, and the Department of Veterans Administration. In her private practice, Nicole works with clients to address stress management, life transitions, and trauma recovery. Through workshops and therapy, Nicole provides education on the nervous system, brain, and heart connection in order to help clients build personal resilience and improve their mental health. She has a great profile on psychologytoday.com where you can find out even more about her practice and approach. But for now, let's get into it. Nicole, first of all, thank you for making this work today. I know given your full schedule, this was not an easy thing to accomplish and I'm so glad you're here with us. Oh, well, it's a pleasure. I said I'm going to make the time <laughs> um, because we haven't seen each other in real life since that time. So this is great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you again. So as I've let everyone know, you're a licensed therapist, educator, and clinical supervisor. And when I met you at the workshop last year, I was totally blown away by how down to earth you are. You're approachable, relatable, and very real. So just kind of give our listeners a little more background on your journey to how you got where you are now and how you came to pursue this line of work and why. Yes. So I got my master's in social work after I figured that I didn't want to be a psychologist. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to be a psychiatrist. So I originally got my bachelor's at UC Davis, go Ags, because I wanted to fix my family. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to figure out what's wrong with all of you, uh-huh. and I'm going to come back and fix you. And it doesn't work that way with family, right? <laughs> Not usually. It doesn't really work that way with family. So because I've had a lot of family discord, dysfunction, I wanted mm-hmm. to understand it, and I wanted to fix it. And what I realized along the way that it was about fixing myself and sharing that journey. And as family saw me more healthy, more in tune, mm-hmm. then that's how I figured, oh, monkey see, monkey do, so to speak, when they see me do it, then they're more interested versus me coming at them with a book. So that's what I do now. I, a lot of times in therapy, I'll tell people, me too, me too. I use these tools every day. <laughs> oh, that's the best part. And that's one of the things that I learned very quickly from you at the workshop was that as people were asking you questions about trouble they were having with a sibling or a family member or whatever it was, and you were just like, well, actually, I've got a story about that, too. And yeah. you, were, you were even at times getting emotional about your experience and just showing the full range of human emotion. And it's OK to be angry. It's OK to be sad. It's OK to feel frustrated. I love emotions. I mean, that's been a long road. But my hope is to share emotions in a way that people understand that they have a function mm. and a purpose and they are not here to hurt you. 
they're really here to help you get to what you're wanting. Yeah, that's so true. There's a lot of fear, self-included. I think just as part of humanity, we get very afraid of strong emotions. So I like how you phrased it that way. They're here to guide you towards what, what you need to do to tackle that. Yeah. Okay. So I believe more than ever during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions that come from dealing with that, combined with social and racial justice initiatives, U.S. election, the never-ending news cycle, um, taking care of ourselves really needs to be a priority. And I've been excited to see that mental health is more and more becoming a part of everyday awareness and conversation. I personally do talk to a therapist somewhat regularly, and that's something I've never really been public about. I've not really spoken about it openly because it still feels like there's some sort of stigma hanging around about that. On one of your recent Instagram posts that really hit home for me, um, you said seeking help from a therapist is not the end of the world. So my question at this point is kind of twofold. Talk to us about what you think is behind not only the resistance to mental health treatment and also despite historical resistance to getting help, have you still seen an increase in people seeking your guidance and services during the past seven months? That's what I've been seeing in the headlines. I'm just curious if that's affecting your practice? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, very much so. To be a therapist of color mm. and a woman is a great time right now, unfortunately. But at the same time, it's kind of like a strong emotion. It's very uncomfortable, but it reveals a resource. So we are in a very uncomfortable time, especially here in America, but it's revealing resources. People are saying, this doesn't feel good and I can't take it. So to your first mm -hmm. part of your question. Like wondering what the resistance is? Historically, for us, we're, therapists are considered professional help. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I hear people say, well, it's bad, but it's not that bad. I don't need professional help. Mm -hmm. So I think historically, especially for Black, Indigenous, people of color, this experience was always one of, well, that's how it is. Instead of, oh, wow, this is really impacting you in a negative way. Mm -hmm. So it's always kind of been taught to deal with it, buck up, or you're told, well, your grandparents had it worse. So then by the yeah. time it gets to you, you feel like, wow, I have this technology. I'm able to go to school. I'm able to do all these mm -hmm. things that the generations before me couldn't do. So then you almost feel what I'm finding with my 30-year-old 20-year-old clients is that they almost feel like they shouldn't complain. Yeah, this is a first world problem. <laughs> who, am, who am I to complain? Yeah. Who am I to say I'm depressed? Who am I to say I have anxiety? Who am I when those who came before me had it so much worse than me? Mm. And I, unfortunately, I remember growing up and hearing that as well. You don't have it half as bad as we do. So if that's the message you start receiving very early, then symptoms of depression and anxiety are not really given their proper respect. And so then we just endure yeah. and we just endure. And unfortunately we pass on and then it takes a breakdown. Mm -hmm. So I can't get out of bed. I can't, my relationship is horrible. It takes something extreme for them to then come to a professional. Mm. And so I like to tell them, oh my gosh, this is more than that. This, this could be just communication. This could be learning how to listen to yourself. This can be learning, if you want to quit your job, 
come to a therapist for a few months before you understand why you want to quit and you can help get a plan about how to quit that. It doesn't have to be, I'm in the emergency department and I can't function. The end of the world. It doesn't have to be the end of the world for you to see a quote unquote professional. Or coping skills. Like that's one of the things that I've found has been the most helpful. Little things. And yeah, a friend might tell you that or somebody you know who kind of works in the health and wellness field. Those have all been really helpful. And I've been finding I have a lot of friends now who are are therapists and work in that way. And you teach me a lot just by like your simple posts on Instagram, like, let's try this. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I remember that I did learn that either my yoga teacher training or some kind of other environment. And it's like, yeah, that's a tool that I can use to help me get through this moment of anxiety. And that's amazing. So there's a full spectrum. of It can be as simple as you want, and it can be as as dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it takes, get into therapy, folks. (laughs) Actually, and the other thing I wanted to speak to, because you mentioned it briefly, and your first answer was finding a woman or a person of color. And I know... Uh, for me, like my my family doctor is is another black woman, and she says, "Well, what kind of therapist do you want me to re- refer you to?" And I looked at her, and she knew immediately. She says, "You'd prefer," and I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll see anybody. I know people are professional." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "But if I c- could have a choice," and she, of course, there were two, and she's like, "They're booked up for like four months, so this if you're true. willing to wait, it's." And there's something about that too. I think in the black community, I know I've heard that as well. It's not for us. This is something that other people do. We don't we air don't. our laundry. Mm-hmm. We don't tell our business. What happens in the house stays in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens in the church stays in the church. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we have a whole generation of these 20 and 30, the 30. They teach me so much because of technology. They don't go to one source. Because of technology, because they can Google, because they can see how it is somewhere else, they're so quick to be like, but so-and-so's doing it. And so it's, it's really been something for me to learn from these women because they have the desire, because they can feel the stuckness mm-hmm. of what happens when we try to deal with it all by ourselves. Yeah. And even though they're these independent beings and they're so strong, they're still very kind of community and connection-oriented Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love seeing that. <laughs> yeah. And a frame of reference, even though we're all, you know, been stranded at home for seven months, there's also this, like, I have all these resources to look at what other people are doing, what people are talking about. And increasingly the mental health conversation is coming up. Like, this is just part of my normal life. This is what keeps me on an even keel. This is like. My clients love it. They're yeah. like, I told my family today, oh, I have therapy. Oh, my therapist says. Yeah. And I can hear in their voice the relief. Mm. I think that's the big thing I want people, you know, and I'm glad that we're talking about therapy and normalizing the conversation because ultimately therapy is a series of discussions where you get to discover and explore your strengths. You get to figure out where do I want to go going forward and you're normalizing listening to yourself. The therapist, unfortunately, because we wait to the end of the world where we might feel like we want to harm ourselves or we feel like we can't go on, the fear, especially for black communities, I'm going to be hospitalized. So that's very real. So I worked in the emergency department. So if a person comes in and they're saying, I just don't know, I just don't feel safe, the fear that, oh, I'm going to be placed on what is called a psychiatric hold and then forcefully placed into an inpatient or institution, that is real. And that is when you are a danger to self, 
to others or you cannot provide for your own safety and well-being. So that's a very real thing. So if you go to a hospital and you start talking and they start asking you questions about, well, how often do you feel this way? Do you feel safe? That is a very real thing, but it's a bigger conversation. They're going to ask you about your resources, your support system, your tools. So it doesn't necessarily mean if I have, if I mention one statement that somebody's going to come in and force me to go into the hospital. I think that's a big fear for people. Oh, that it's a form of incarceration that they're afraid of as it's well, right? It's a systematic, right? you're going to make a choice for me. You know, yeah. I come in here and I say I'm not doing well, but I have kids at home. Are you going to report me to Child Protective Services? Mm-hmm. If, you know, I come in here intoxicated and I tell you it's because I'm depressed, you know, what are the ramifications of that? So I think there's there's a real fear there that a system or somebody can come and take away my rights and force me into a situation or potentially expose my children to the system. The system. Oh, as my hair on my arms is standing on end, just thinking about all of that. And that's actually, speaking of children, a great segue to the next question I wanted to ask you. One of the things I know about you and that we have in common is that you have a young daughter. And first of all, let's talk about raising a young black girl in a world that feels so uncertain right now and as rewarding as it is. Being a parent and a mom is never easy, but what are some of the things you're noticing are shifting, not only maybe in your parenting, but also in response to world events? And I'm sort of thinking of, I know there's distance learning because of COVID-19, and is your daughter, are kids her age, the kids you maybe deal with, are they aware of Breonna Taylor? And if so, how do you talk to her or to them about that? One of the great posts on Instagram, again, that really stands out to me on this, where you said, in all your educating to young humans, be mindful that you are not teaching them to feel bad for their black friends, but to stand alongside their friends. That was so powerful. Makes me a little emotional, actually. But I know there was a lot of things in that that question to unpack there. Well, she's nine, Mm -hmm. and she's still at an age where she is developmentally (laughs) self-centered. The world, (laughs) the sun rises and sets on on my daughter. (laughs) And and I love that in my home, but I'm also aware of what's outside the door. And so she, we have had conversations because we've been out when the protests were happening. So, and she's saying, mom, why are the streets blocked off? Why are people out in the streets? What's, you know, we don't watch the news. Um, And so having to sit down with her and have these talks about, unfortunately, we still live in a time where the color of your skin, people think something about you. They do not see you as talented, artistic, Mm -hmm. and funny. They unfortunately just look at how you look, whether it's your color skin, the texture of your hair, who you're standing next to, and they assume something about you. And for a long time, our voice has not been given any due justice and respect. And so right now the world is saying enough is enough because bad things have happened to people who didn't deserve it. So she's in the fourth grade. And last Friday they were reading a story. I can't remember the name of the book. It's a wonderful book. It's about a family that's going from the South to the North. And so in the story, the teacher's reading the word Negro is used because it's the South. And so the teacher says Negro, distance learning. And one of her her peers, a young white student, said, 
don't you mean N-I-G-G-E-R? He was correcting the teacher. And the teacher said, no, the word is Negro. And that's how you say it. So my daughter's like, mom. And I'm like, what? Because I have talked to her about this word. Yes. It's in music that she hears. Mm, I have talked true. to her, you know, like it's yes. in music that she listens to. And so she's been around it. And so the teacher explained no. And my daughter on their break was like, mom, this is what happened. And I find interesting that my daughter at nine-year-old is not offended. Mm-hmm. When I was nine years old, I was offended. Mm-hmm. I would have been angry. I would have been mad, hurt that that kid was either calling me that because, mm-hmm. oh, you must think we're all that. But my daughter was like, it's just a word. Wow. Yeah. It's a word. And I know it's not a good word. It's not a positive word. It's something we don't use. But she didn't she had that awareness. it. Okay. She didn't take it on. When mm-hmm. I was nine, I would have took it I on. I would have too. <laughs> yeah. I still take it on. <laughs> I still take it on. But it was just, you know, and I had a moment of, have I done this right? Mm-hmm. On one hand, I love that it was like water off a duck's back. Mm-hmm. And so the teacher, I was about to email the teacher while they're distance learning, like, I know you're going to use this as a teaching moment, right? And um, I had a session, so I came back and she said, Mom, before we got off the um our distance learning today, our teacher took the time to explain the word, why it wasn't okay, that it was hurtful, that it was um, derogatory. And she said, and it's racist, (laughs) you know, and a part of me was, uh, I emailed the teacher. I said, I understand this word was used. I understand this was the context. And uh, he emailed me back immediately and said it was so uncomfortable, but he did use it as a teaching teaching moment. moment. You know, when I told another friend, of course, I'm flabbergasted. You know, she just reminded me, but that's why we still need to have these conversations, Nicole, because you have one young man who's thinking he's never even been familiarized with the term Negro. He's really thinking that the N-I-G-G-E-R is the correct term. So it just was really, it was mind blowing. But at the same time, as a parent, you know, I'm sitting down looking at how is my daughter impacted one part of me was very happy that she didn't take it on because mm-hmm. I remember very early that's power. Mm-hmm. So when people knew they could push a button and then your, your emotional brain goes off yes, and then I go into stress response, yep. I'm going to fight, flee, freeze. Mm-hmm. But the fact that my daughter was like, oh, no, it was really uncomfortable, mom. She was able to think still. So for that, I was grateful. That's a shift, right? That's one generational shift right there. Cause you're right. I would have been, and I think the thing that kind of stings the most about that is that there is a young man, a young child out there that really thinks that like, whether it's from music, whether it's from something he learned at home. He was correcting the teacher. He said, didn't you mean, don't don't you mean? And so of course he said, you know, the kid's name, I need you to stay after class. And so all the kids got to see that, that, oh, okay. He's going to have a conversation with him after class. But your daughter handled that. Really well. And that's something I think she'll probably remember the rest of her life as she grows up. And if that's her approach to things, to be able to have the conversation, talk to you about it, talk to the teacher about it. Maybe even that kid, when we get together in in class one day, you know, she might be the one to turn around and say, no, that's the wrong word. And this is why. Like, versus being hurt by it. Mm -hmm. And then nobody learns. Yeah. Do you know nobody learns? Because when you get hurt, you know, you have a response versus a conversation. Mm hmm. Actually, this is for my next question. I'm going to skip ahead to one. 
Is there something you would tell younger Nicole about what you know now? Um, just thinking back to what we were talking about, your response to that word as, at nine years old and your daughter's response. And it doesn't have to be about that. It could be about anything, but something you've learned along the way that your younger self would, you'd love her to know now. Oh, yes. The, the big one is to trust, believe yourself. Mm. Believe yourself and you keep telling somebody until somebody believes you. Keep telling somebody until somebody believes you. Because when you stop telling, you stop believing in yourself. Mm. So that would—that's what I would tell my younger self. You have to keep—you have to keep talking, keep saying what's happening, until somebody believes you. Yeah, kids are so sometimes uncomfortably forthright about everything. Yes, until they are taught. We don't <laughs> talk like that in the house. Yeah. We don't keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I have a little bit of a um, discomfort with the kindness movement. And that gets back to my post that this isn't about being kind to your black peers and your black. This isn't about being this isn't about kindness. This is about understanding that all of this is wrong, mm-hmm. because just as much as I used to feel uncomfortable I had white friends who felt uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. Like every year in history when we had to learn about slavery, like it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Horrible. I hated that section of history because it was not taught that this was horrible. It was not taught that this is something that we couldn't imagine doing today. It was taught like this is how it was. Mm-hmm. Just the history. And this is who these people are. Mm-hmm. It was not taught like these were humans who were brilliant and fabulous and amazing and intelligent who were forced into something. It's just taught like, whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah. and so some of my, my closest friends, I grew up in Manteca right up oh, okay. the road. Um, and I was, you know, a fly in a bowl of milk. That's what we used to call it. Or the brown dot on All the right. white page. They would be uncomfortable. They didn't know how to say it. And then we had other white students who just really felt like, yeah, I am I am superior. You're inferior to me, Nicole. Look at the history. You just started learning how to read. <laughs> like, like what? Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting that my daughter at nine doesn't take that on mm-hmm. because she knows I'm intelligent, I'm smart, I'm this, I'm that. But at the same time, trying to let her know that, unfortunately, because of the way you look, the world doesn't always see you that way. Yeah. Well, that is kind of taking me to something called mirror work that Mm -hmm. I've seen you model online as a self-healing tool. And this is something I've worked with only minimally in the past. And it's really, really hard for me to do. It makes me really emotional and I feel kind of panicked. And But I noticed it's something you mentioned somewhat regularly, even posting videos or talking about mantras. So what does that practice look like? And I'm asking it now because I feel like it's a good segue from how people have been perceived in the past and how, you know, that can affect, you know, a culture, a community, family, society. How can we take that down to that personal level of starting with ourselves as a self-healing tool so then we can go out into the larger community and feel a little more confident and self-love and all that? Yeah, well, I started it personally uh, Mm -hmm. because I needed to remember, remember that I liked being me. And I looked at my daughter, who's so self-confident, 
and loves looking at herself in the mirror. Loves it. <laughs> Every chance she gets, any reflection, any surface area that she could get to look at herself, she's in it. And the joy that, and the freedom that she feels in looking at herself. There is no I'm this, I'm that, my hair is, th there's none of that. Um, so for me, mirror work was really about so many of the times you're looking in the mirror and you're getting ready for the day and you don't even look in your own eyes. Um, for me, it started because I was single. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to hear I love you. Yeah. But there was nobody, <laughs> right. nobody around. Mm -hmm. um, and so actually, Louise Hayes. Love her. Love, Love her. her work. Phenomenal. Yeah. And I would listen to a specific um, insert that she just really talked about that in all her work with people as a therapist, you can talk about your past. You could talk about your family. When she got people to look in the mirror and say, I love you, Nicole. I love you, Nicole. She said all the other stuff went away. And I thought that's so true because a lot of times in therapy, what I'm really doing is when people are explaining their lives, I will say, how did you get through that? Wow, what part, what part of you was that that figured out how to do this? And I'm just really showing them their inner strength. So then I ask them to go in a mirror, and it's very uncomfortable, and look yourself in the eye and say, I love you with your name. Now, when you say it out loud, it's a vibration. You cannot do this in your head. A lot of people think you can do it in your head. That's the problem. You have to say it out loud because your, your voice has a vibration to it and your inner ear will vibrate. And then you start to resonate with it. You start to feel it's uncomfortable. But when you get it out of you, that panic you said you feel, it will start to subside because you're taking action. So it's really beautiful if you can start. If you can't say your name at first, you just look at yourself. It might just be taking a couple of minutes after you've done your hair and you washed your face to look at yourself in the eye. And sometimes that's scary enough and you run away. And then the next day, you're a little longer. And it's really a way of saying, I see you, I hear you, I care. And that's when you start with the, I love you, Nicole. Nicole, I really love you. I love you, Nicole. Because it gets to that, as Louise has, says, it gets to that little Nicole inside of me that maybe didn't hear that when she needed to, or maybe still needs to hear that. Because having children is great, but they're not, they're not pseudo, I'm, I don't like that. Yeah. My emotions are mine. So yeah, it's a really, a, it's a phenomenal, powerful way to start that. That reminds me of her book. And I think it was called, the first one I read by her was called You Can Heal Yourself. Yes. And I read through the whole book and it was just, my jaw was on the floor. It was probably about 10 years ago. And then at the very end, she talked about her life, like what happened to her and her yes. life. And I, I was a wreck. I was like, if this woman can get through all of that and still come out and say, these are the steps you can take, we can all do it. Yes. Like we, she really went kind of through hell and back again. And, you know, she passed away recently. I think it was about two years yeah. ago. And it's like, oh, but her work is going to live on forever, forever. forever. She's amazing. Is this part of, is the mirror work or anything else, are there daily routines or practices of any kind that you feel helpful for keeping your life in order? And when I say life in order, it's like, <laughs> whoa, it could, it could be coffee. It could be, um, yeah, self-soothing or self-healing tools. It, like yeah. Just anything. I'm a big user of breath. I just okay. feel that it's our 
it's such a beautiful giving gift mm -hmm. um, that sometimes you can just forget is actually there to serve you versus it, you know, oh, that took my breath away. Oh, I can't catch my breath. It's a very scary thing, like if you've ever had asthma attack mm -hmm. or something to that effect. But at the end of the day, your breath in and out, I mean, that is the prana. That is the life force. That is, if you're not having this in and out, this exchange of in and out, which is life, mm -hmm. um, then you're not living. So I am very mindful of my breath. So if I'm having a hard conversation, like before we got started here, I started paying attention to my breath, the, yeah. the belly getting big and breathing out. Um, and then I'm also a big believer of tapping. Uh, so something for me is like, I just know there's certain spots I can mm -hmm. tap on that are very subtle. Sometimes people don't even really know, but it's just a way of being there for myself when I'm uncomfortable versus trying to white knuckle and get through it. So I always tell my clients and people that I work with, find something for you. You deserve to give yourself something. It's not an indication of weakness. It's not an indication that you're having a bad moment. We, you are having a bad moment. <laughs> yeah. You are, your, your, your stress response is about to kick in, but this is where you have choice. Mm. So your alarm is going off, your emotional brain, your amygdala is going off. Threat, 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 threat. But do you want to, how do you, this is the split moment where you decide, do I want to keep my good thoughts or do I want the lizard brain to mm -hmm. take over, the reptile brain that says fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? So that's, for me, it's the breath. You really, your breath is, whew, yeah. it's, it's always there for you. And it's the huge, hugest part of yoga. And it's, you know, even though I can't, you know, practice or teach in person within a group setting, although the situation did just change in Sacramento County, so that might change. But it's been so long since I've taught in person. But one of the things that people most often say to me that they never realized how they were breathing before. And I was like, and that's the key to yoga, like achieving the quote unquote fancy poses comes with figuring out how to breathe and mm. moving on an inhale and strategically moving again on an exhale and how much easier the things you may be trying to achieve physically happen when you can figure out how to breathe, right? Even Love just that. Shavasana, right? Just so I'll try to teach, be like, okay, you're going into this pose, lift your arms on the inhale, bend your knee on the exhale. Mm. And then it's less about physically taxing yourself, but moving with mm -hmm. your breath. And it's the one thing I hear over and over and over from people that they just never, they realized they were holding their breath the whole time or that they were mouth breathing and just, and that constantly, you know, stimulates that stress response. It if does. you can't figure out how to breathe through your nose. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. That's a huge gem, huge gem. Tell me just to kind of switch tack Right now, what are three things or however many things that are going oh so right for you in your life right now? Well, Good right now, what's going so right for me is I'm finding ways to ground myself quicker. So life 2020 has come out, all of us, right? right? Every day. I'm just waiting for Godzilla to show up. <laughs> like That's my ongoing joke with my friend. Godzilla is like on the horizon. Yeah. Gonna come for us. So what's working for me is I'm finding more ways to ground myself. Mm -hmm. I'm finding more ways to figure out what's in the best interest of Nicole. The second thing is that I'm at home with my daughter while she's going to school. So I quit my quote unquote, nine to five in August. Um, oh. And that was like a big step for me because 
retirement and insurance and how, single mom, how am I going to figure all this out? But it just, I was miserable. I was miserable. And since quitting, phenomenal opportunities like this have happened. People who I didn't even know knew me. I get three or four phone calls every week saying, do you have openings for therapy? So, you know, listening, listening to myself and believing, mm -hmm. believing myself that you can quit. Because a voice was like, you can quit. But no, 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 I can't. 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 But you can quit. So keep telling people. So I would tell people and I would tell people yes. and I got enough people who were like, just quit already. Because <laughs> they believed me. So I told yes. enough people, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing this. And enough people were like, well, yeah, well, let's look at, you know, I had a couple of friends. Well, let's look at your numbers. Yeah. Why don't you just do it for 30 days? What if you got fired? Oh, right. Like if I got fired, I would have to figure this out. That was like the <laughs> freest thing ever. Yeah. If you got fired, you would have to figure it out, mm -hmm. Nicole. So finding what works for me to ground myself, because then I feel like I have more power to listen to myself. Quitting that job was everything and being there for my daughter. And then the third thing for me, what's really working well, is being able to have the space to explore what I really like mm. versus what I've been used to doing. Yeah, that's powerful. That's really powerful, actually. Yeah. Um, what do I like doing? What lights me up when I talk? I love this. I can talk about this all day long versus what I've been, what I've had to do. Yes, to get to the point that you are now. What is the, re the real you yeah. looking for? So speaking of your practice, now that you are doing that full time, essentially now, right? You're <laughs> yeah, I have, I have that. So I'm a part-time clinical supervisor. So okay. for 20 hours, I work with people who are gaining their hours to become licensed, to take the test and become licensed clinicians. Oh, like a mentor um, kind of. Yeah, basically. That's really what it okay. is. And you observe them, feedback, all that good stuff, which I love teaching. Um, and then that other part is I'm a clinical, a clinician for a group home, for a boys group home. So I'm meeting with those young men once a week and training staff. And then like I have about 10 or 12 private clients. Oh. So I have like three different hats. <laughs> but all things that are feeling very, that's th that magic number three too, yes. right? They're fulfilling you and it's part of what you want to do. I love that, that you're working with young men because that's another part of the the kids equation, oh, right? Yeah. Like we're women and we have daughters, but that's equally important. All those influences and in, yeah. in their life as they're growing up to learn these techniques and coping strategies. About themselves. And, yeah. Because what good is it to learn uh, when I'm working with these young men? I teach them this stuff about their brain because this is a matter of what color you are. Mm -hmm. This is how your brain works. It's how everybody's brain works. So if you can learn that about you, you then have more awareness of self and that's so powerful because then you don't have to believe what people tell you about you mm -hmm. you don't have to believe that you can be like no I can choose to do this different you don't have to be triggered by everything that comes at you and so then you start to be like no I I'm my own person right and yeah. that's it took me years to get Just there so personal autonomy my daughter yeah. she's got it oh. nine years old she's Got it. But that's, I started very early with her. Very early. Mommy, do you like this? Do you like it? Do you like it? So what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? How did it get there? Very early because mm -hmm. I didn't want my voice because I see so many people in therapy who are still trying to get the approval. Yes. And I want to make them proud. I want to make them proud. And I'm like, 
what makes you happy. Yeah, that's key. There's a, another podcast I've been listening to, the Michelle Obama podcast, mm. and she had a conversation like that with her mom and her brother last week. I listened to it, and that was one of the key things. She said when they were about five years old that their parents started instilling that in them, that they became very aware that they have to get up for school. They have to set their alarm. They, If they want to get good grades, it's for them. It's not to make mom and dad proud. And she's like, I don't know how you did it, how you struck that balance between not telling me every single thing I did was the best thing in the world and you were so proud of me. And also not letting inevitably as a kid when you screw up and you do something wrong or bad, quote unquote, not hanging that over my head forever mm -hmm. and ever telling me I'm the worst kid in the world, you know, and it's like balancing between those two extremes. She said, I, I knew from about, both of them said from five years old. So yeah, by the time they were, you know, school age kids, they've always been very independent and know that they, they need to do it for themselves mm -hmm. and not for this overarching approval thing, which I thought was a miracle, like something like that happening in the would have been in the 60s or 70s. But your girls, right. your girls, your your women, your young women. <laughs> They're not so little they anymore. They are like doing it. <laughs> yeah. They don't look like they're seeking approval from anyone. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think in the sense of, they, I think they like to hear like anybody sure. that mom's proud of you or this is so exciting. And, you know, my, my younger one, who's 19, got 100% on her physics test yesterday at wow. the University of California. And she called. She was like, both of you get on the phone. I want you to hear about right. this. And it's really important to her to do well. But she's like, I also want you to know that mm. and I want it to be important to you. We're like, yeah. you know, as long as you don't fail, like <laughs> we'll, we'll be good with it. But we're all... Yeah, we're definitely all looking for that. I wanted to maybe dive into a little bit about what people could expect to experience when they book an appointment with you. If there's listeners that are looking for someone and maybe Nicole finds room in her schedule, I suspect that many people have a hesitancy about th seeking a therapist's help is because either they don't know what to expect, there's stigmas surrounding getting help, or they've been influenced by something they've seen on TV or in a movie that's very dramatic, but not realistic. What's kind of a quick rundown of what that would look like with you? So a quick rundown is really the, the phone consultation. Right? Oh, okay. So a lot of people call and you can hear there. It's like, hello. Um, or I answer the phone and it freaks them out because <laughs> they're <laughs> expecting a machine. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, oh uh, yes. Uh, it's so what, what we talk about off the bat is what are they hoping to get from it? And it could be one thing. It can be, I just feeling more anxious mm -hmm. and it's, it's really affecting this area of my life. And so what I would say, what the experience is, and anybody who's looking for a therapist, be clear about what you want to get from it mm -hmm. because it's your money, mm -hmm. it's your resource and it's your time. And if a therapist is not meeting your needs, to keep it locked up and stored. But if you're going to come work with me, be prepared that I'm going to meet you where you're at. So if you tell me it's about anxiety, but of course I can sense that maybe anxiety is resulting from some childhood things, we're not going to delve into the childhood stuff until you're ready to. Mm. I think people assume like I'm going to go, we're going to go straight in to your childhood and we're going to we're going to get that inner child yes. and we're going to hug her and you're going to cry every session. And <laughs> yeah. I think people think that I'm going to cry every session. I think so too. You know, or you're going to tell me my parents didn't do a good job and I'm going to feel conflicted or you're going to tell me that I need to leave this person or you're going to, mm -hmm. so it's not, therapy is not advice. 
I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. We're going to look at your life, maybe how you got here, because sometimes that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But really, we're focusing on where do you want to go and how can we help you get there, even if it's baby steps. Yeah. Like, what about Bob? Baby steps to the bathroom. Baby mm -hmm. steps to the baby steps to the what? Baby steps to the. Even if it's little, even if it's just you having an hour to not have to think about all the things you need to do. So sometimes with Nicole, you're just going to do breath work. Sometimes your nervous system is so wound up that I know I can't talk to you. We, we're not talking today. Today is self-soothing. Today is breath work. Today is giving you an opportunity to feel safe. So it's not a prescriptive, I go, you diagnose me, you tell me what's wrong with me, and then you fix me. It's very much a conversation, and it's an exploration. And it's really, my, my intention is always to show people that you have the strength and skills inside of you already. You just maybe haven't we haven't had the opportunity or carved out space for you to, to acknowledge yourself in that way. And I don't mean being strong because yeah. I think black women tend to, Oh, we're strong. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about caring for yourself, caring that about what you think, because we all have those voices in our mind that when we, we think something and then a voice comes along and says, why you can't do that. That's stupid. Who are you to think you can do that? So that hour is that moment where you get to say, no, this, I thought this thought, I think it's a great idea. This is why. And then I'm going to help you say, well, okay, it is a great thought. And then let's feel into that and let's rewire your brain so that you understand, oh, this is what a good thought feels like because we're so conditioned to threat that we don't even recognize good things sometimes. You know, we're so conditioned to staying safe that when an opportunity comes, we potentially perceive it as a threat. So sometimes you need, you can come to therapy and say, Nicole, I got these opportunities, da, 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 da. And then I'm listening for your rise in vibration. Do you light up when you talk about a certain one? Yeah. And then I just tell you what I see. And then more times than not, the client always tells me, well, you know what I think, Nicole? <laughs> and I go, wow. Where did that come from? And then they're like, it came from me. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. It's just, it's a return to self. And yeah. oh. that's what it feels like to me. That's it. Therapy mm -hmm. is a return to self. And for some of us, the self got cut off very early. Mm -hmm. Very early. Two, three, four, five years old. Mm -hmm. Really early. But we're all born thinking we're the best thing since sliced bread. We cry out, <laughs> somebody better come. When, you know, we're in the crib and people look at us, we're like, yeah, look at me. No, but you know, we're, nobody's coming out like, oh, no, I'm horrible. We all come out born like, yeah, I'm here. I'm a thing. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. That was beautiful, actually. Beautiful description of what therapy can be and can do. So kind of talking about some of those self-soothing tools that you do with clients sometimes, whether it's breath work, mirror work, and you mentioned previously emotional freedom technique or EFT, which involves tapping. And then a recent one I've also seen you visualize on Instagram was self self having. Am I saying yes. that the right way? I don't know. I say havening, having. It's yeah. probably having. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to Talk us. I don't know if it's possible in an audio format. People could always go to your Instagram page to, to look at it. 
But if you think you can talk us through one or or both of those right now, just a little sampling of what that looks like, what that feels like, what people should try. Yeah, I mean, I think the safe uh, havening is my go-to right now mm -hmm. because it's just it's just such a simple thing you can do. EFT tapping, it does involve a little more thought. Uh, it's a little more intention. Um, and so with the safe havening, really what we're doing is we're sending a message to our nervous system that I'm here. Because sometimes when we start to get stressed, we feel like nobody's here. I'm starting to get, oh my gosh, out of control. And when we get in our stress response brain, we're not really thinking. The thinking is out the window. You, you can't do it. So in that moment, what can I do for myself? And so what I am like for people to do is get as comfortable as you can wherever you are. And you're just going to take a nice breath in. And you're going to release with the mouth, letting your shoulders drop. Again, maybe take a breath in through the nose. Release through your mouth, shoulders dropping, and you're going to take both of your hands and you're going to cross them over your chest. So one hand is going to be on your left shoulder and one hand is going to be on your right shoulder. And what you're going to do is you're just going to slide your hands down to your elbows and then come back up. Slide down to the elbows and then come back up. There is no right or wrong on speed. I have noticed when I'm very anxious, I will go faster. I have noticed when I'm really trying to say, Nicole, it's okay. It's really, it's, it's okay. I don't have to figure all this out right now. And just continue to stroke as hard or as soft as you feel that you need in the moment. And really listen to what do I need? And just use your hands to give that to yourself. You can be quiet. You can say a mantra. For me, it's really important to say, I don't have to figure all this out right now. I don't have to figure all this out right now. It doesn't have to be figured out right now. And just giving yourself a few moments. I love that. It's like a... A hug in motion. It really is. Truly a self-soothing. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here. Like yourself. It's like your higher being is like, I'm here. Yeah. What about me? I'm, I, I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. And it's just that nice reminder. Yeah. Being at home. Just being at home. Yeah. Return to self. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. And I know, I'm curious, I'm not sure if this will be part of it or how much you can say, but I know you have an upcoming event uh, with Afro Yoga called Gatherings. It's going to be so, I'm so, <laughs> I'm registered. I'm very Yay! excited. Yay. <laughs> it's going to be phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the panel this year, I mean, I was like, I'm on the panel. <laughs> I'm going last. Oh, gosh. Of course you it's are. Phenomenal. So it's on Sunday, October 25th. Yes. Can you... Give us a little preview, even if it's just your part or an overall thing or, you know, how people can find out more or register. I know we're hoping, I'm hoping one day we'll have Angie, who's the founder of Afro Yoga on here when her oh my schedule gosh. allows. Yes, but. yes. Don't worry. I will pinch her. I mean, um, I will, I will remind her. Um, yeah. So, you know, Afro Yoga. Dot org. You can go to the website and you can also do Afro Yoga by Angie on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and so every year... Afro Yoga does what's called gatherings. And really it's, you know, as Angie talks about it, it's kind of like just showing up for the community to say, 
thank you for a wonderful year. Thank you for showing up. And the panel this year, oh my gosh. I mean, we're really, really getting to all the aspects of us as women mm -hmm. that we need. So being there for the self, using different types of tools, mm -hmm. um, and really getting explorative, right? So sometimes I think we tend to think therapy, okay, yoga, church, maybe. <laughs> We're really like kind of expanding um, with different panelists this year, different ways that you can access your higher self mm -hmm. so that you can be there and appreciate yourself. So I'm excited. I want people to register. I think there's limited number of there seats. There is, yeah. So don't sleep on this, y'all. But And I know it's online, and some of us can feel like we're kind of tired of it. But I'm telling you, there is something there for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really just a beautiful, it's on a Sunday. Yeah. If you can carve out the time to just, and get somewhere comfortable, like with your Wi-Fi. Like, don't sit at your desk. <laughs> Don't sit at your desk and watch this, like set up a little something in your bedroom or go outside because it's really just going to be a time focused on allowing and creating space to acknowledge a the work you've done this year. Because let's let's admit, y'all, we've made it through October. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times I wish we were giving ourselves more credit. But there's always something new to do. But this is going to be a day of giving yourself credit that I mean, if you're listening to this right now, just stop and like literally pat yourself on the back because you've made it this far. You probably learned things that you didn't think you needed to know. <laughs> like, you know what? I didn't need to know that. I didn't want to learn that. But you have. You, you found this podcast. You've made a commitment. So if you're listening to me again, if you're listening to this, you have made a commitment somewhere deep inside you that says, I'm going to show up for myself. And that is worthy of praise oh oh tear me up a little yeah <laughs> we need this thank you it's I'm, true that's, I'm that's what it felt like with i know lala delia is going to be there she's a writer i yes. adore i respect her very much and just so many aspects different ways people can tap into just healing and you know from a therapist to yoga and movement to a writer you know we all have our access points so it's amazing you can attend the whole day or just the yeah. parts that you feel Speak to um, you. Match to you. Yeah. Well, Nicole, I want to thank you thank so you much me. for being here today. Just an incredible conversation. What What is the best way for listeners to get in touch with you regarding potentially booking a session with you or finding out more about the work you share online and on social media? So the best way is to, you can go on Psychology Today mm -hmm. and you can Google or search Nicole Carter in mm -hmm. Sacramento and I will pop up on Psychology Today, uh, the website. And then my Instagram handle, which I don't even know, <laughs> it's like there's an underscore in there. I think it's like Ms. Ms. Nicole. Underscore? No, Miss Nicole underscore C. Yes. I believe that's it. M-S-N-I-C-O-L-E underscore C. My yep. brain, my brain. Well, says you know, yes. we'll do. We'll post, you know, some pictures of. I will get this better day. at that. Yes, <laughs> we'll provide a link. I'll I'll tag you and all Bless the posts you. so Thank people you. can find you Thank easier. Thank you so much. Because yeah. I, I love what you put up there too. Just like the musings, the techniques. It's it's a resource all on its yeah. own. And a lot of times, it's just a reminder for me to self. Um, mm -hmm. Because when yeah. when we get stressed, unfortunately, our best and brightest ideas go away. We just can't access them because we are in a 
we are in survival. So the stress response is real. We need it. It's there to protect us. But unfortunately, when it's continued to go off and to go off and to go off, we forget to do safe haven. We forget to use our breath. We forget these things are. So I'm just here to remind us. Yes. Well, thank you for thank the beautiful you. reminder. Thank you for having me. Yes. Return to self. Nicole Carter. That is it for today, everybody. But before you go, I have one more special treat for you today. A friend of mine, he's a musician, and his name is Giovanni Morant, and he's offered us the opportunity to hear his new single just released uh, about a week and a half ago called Blood on the Stone. And it's him with his acoustic guitar, a few background vocals, not very complicated. It's just simple and beautiful. And I find it a little reminiscent of one of my personal musical favorites, Prince, with a mellow tempo, some poignant lyrics. You can follow him on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube, and check out his website at GiovanniMorant.com. And so we'll close out today with his three and a half minute song. And until next time, my friends, remember, listen closely expand exponentially. It's always a good time for your mind to be on the mat. Blood on the stone Outlines the